Medics Type 1, Type 2, and Type 3 ambulances deliver the industry's highest possible performance value. Go safely, effectively, and efficiently with ambulance models that provide best-in-class delivery. Learn more at medicsambulance.com. Hello and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, we share or tell our stories. I'm Eric Chase. We are powered by GEMS. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest is Steve Dunn. Steve Dunn is a three-time sudden cardiac arrest survivor, um, three times, not just once. Uh, so you did hear that correctly. He is a uh, distinguished professor at the University of Wisconsin. He is uh, probably most importantly a father to several uh, boys. He is also the executive director for Take Heart America. It's a not-for-profit specializing in improved neurologic outcomes for sudden cardiac arrest patients. So there is a greater story to what Steve has experienced and what he's done and how he's helping you and your family members out there. He is also a professional speaker and you will get to hear him here in just a moment. Uh, he deals a lot with the supply chain risk and sustainability, as well as the sudden cardiac arrest and post-traumatic stress. Um, he's looking into the impact that cardiac arrest has on survivors, relatives, and colleagues. So without further ado, I appreciate Steve Dunn, your time. We did meet for full disclosure uh, on real emergencies that Prodigy EMS was doing. Um, Peter Antebi had introduced your story a little bit and then uh, I, I was kind of side messaging you during during the uh, the Q&A, the talk portion, and asked if you'd be willing to come on uh, because I thought your story, one, resonated so well with what the topic was on real emergency that day, but two, because I haven't talked to very many people that have survived uh, sudden cardiac arrest, and I am one, mine was in hospital, yours was uh, out of hospital three times, so I just want to say we have a lot to cover. I know you're going to share some fantastic stories uh, about your your sons, uh, your experiences, but welcome, Steve Dunn. I appreciate you. Hey, Eric. I'm really happy to be here. Pleasure to be on your uh, podcast. So, Steve, I know everybody always hears they hear sudden cardiac sudden cardiac arrest survivor, and they want to know um, how. So, if if you're okay with at the beginning. Uh, whether it's the third event, the first event, whatever right now is kind of just capturing you. We, we kind of did a really good conversation at the beginning to see where we might go with this, but I want you to feel comfortable and share with our listeners and somebody that may have also been going through uh, this experience, what you've dealt with. Well, okay, let's, let's start with, uh, I guess the way I look at it, and uh, I mentioned this uh, when we were chatting a little is, it's a journey. Uh, cardiac arrest survival or non-survival, either one is a journey for people. And in the case of a survivor like myself, uh, it's been an over 20-year journey. My first out-of-hospital cardiac arrest was in 2002. My second was in 2005. And my third was in 2008. Uh, and it's been a long journey and it's one of those ones that you can't connect with a straight line. There were zigzags here and there uh, in how I reacted, how my family reacted, how people around me that knew about it reacted. So uh, that's what I think the easiest way to say is, is just prepare yourself. It's another one of life's journeys. And uh, that's the way I've kind of come to grips with it finally. But I can also tell you, Eric, that uh, it's been a 20 year education for me as well. Uh, it was not 
something that was in 2002, believe it or not, it, it was still not that well known. And it was uh, certainly not, uh, even in paramedic circles at the time, but certainly with the physicians, uh, something that they saw survivors and, uh, and even uh, all three of them. And I get this uh, when you mentioned that uh, because I still talk to a lot of physicians and I may be the one of the first survivors they've ever met. And so they're, they're always stunned that I'm sitting here talking normally and uh, just uh, leading my life. And I, that's kind of where we went. Uh, so as a survivor, my first event actually involved my three sons when they were younger, because I went down at home, uh, which is where, as we know, 70% of the out-of-hospital cardiac arrests occur. Mine was no different. I was lucky. Uh, one of my sons had the presence of mind. I'd fallen on a bed kind of halfway on. He just did a football block. He was a football player at the time and chucked me off the bed. And I hit the uh, dresser, came down with a thud. And my heart must have started at that point. And then he was, they were all yelling. And my wife called 911. Uh, fortunately, the uh, police chief uh, lived across the street. Uh, he had, must have heard the call. And he was over in uh, minutes. Paramedics got there quickly, assessed me. I did not need uh, uh, an AED on that one, uh, they, but the irony is they took me in, they checked me out, I went in and out a couple of times at the hospital, uh, but I was released uh, within a, a day and a half. And so I turned back home and came back home, uh, walking and talking uh, normally. And uh, so that event, I just said, okay, uh, something happened, I guess, uh, time to go back to work. And I went, I was back in the classroom literally within a week. Uh, now I don't, obviously I don't do physical labor, but uh, mentally, I had to be mentally intact if I'm a, a lecturer and I'm teaching uh, and things. Uh, and I went back like nothing happened. And it's, I, and so Mark down here, this is something too. It's something we chose not to talk about at home. And that that's an issue uh, because it comes up over time. Uh, we chose not to talk about it. I never sat down with my sons and said, hey, did you realize what happened or anything? No, everybody was just happy I was okay. And so we went, just went back to life. And three years later, I'm working out at the YMCA and I, I feel, as, as a cardiac arrest person, or I think anyone with a serious, it, it, it's something happening, you just know something's wrong mm -hmm. uh, internally. You know something's really wrong. And I felt that and I thought, oh gosh, I got and so I literally drove, it was a mile down the road to the ER at the medical center. And so I just got in my car and uh, uh, drove. Uh, and uh, it was interesting. Oh, I guess, wait, I'm getting them confused. So that was the third one. So the third one, I drove myself to the hospital. Uh, the second one, I was refereeing a hockey game with my son, my oldest son. He was 16 at the time. And in the middle of the second, third, into the second period, he says, boy, dad, you don't look good. And, and I, I wasn't feeling good. I was having struggling. I was, I was skating. I was all of a sudden, I couldn't stay up with the, with the flow of play. I mean, granted, we were refereeing a Bantam game. These are, uh, you know, older kids and they skate pretty fast, but uh, nonetheless, all of a sudden I knew something was wrong. We, as we sat in between periods, you know, it's cold in a rink and I was chilled down and I, 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 I felt okay. We finished the game. And then I, I, when I left, uh, he said, you need to go to the hospital. And I said, well, we'll see. I, I may go home and just take a nap. Well, I came out of the parking lot and there's one of those forks in life for me. Turn right, go home, turn left, go to the ER. 
I, I sat there and I said, well, that was weird enough that maybe I should go to the ER and get checked out. So I drove to the ER. I stopped twice on the way because I felt like I was going to pass out. So, you know, I, I think the message here is kids don't do this at home. Uh, right. <laughs> but I stopped, but I continued driving. I got to the ER. And when I get to the ER, I park and I get out. And I'm like, well, this is stupid. I feel fine. You know, why am I here? And I thought, well, I drove here. I might as well walk in. I literally walked toward the door and fell and I was out and I was down. And uh, so obviously I was picked up by somebody and they got me in later and they had shocked me four times that time to get me back. Uh, and next day I'm in the ICU and, uh, you know, and that's like, oh, you're okay. We'll uh, send you home uh, because I was doing fine. And same thing. So I go home, nothing much is said. Uh, and we just continue on. I'm, I'm back in the classroom again within a week uh, and felt okay. Third one is the one I was talking about. I was at the Y and I decided to drive to the uh, ER again. So again, uh, don't do this at home. Uh, but I did this time as I was pulling toward the hospital, I could tell I was going to pass out for real. And so I literally aimed my car. I, I, my, my legit thinking was if I can hit the hit the building close enough to where the ER door is, they'll find me. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, it was winter in Wisconsin. There was a lot of snow, and I hit a snowbank. And uh, I was lucky on the third one because a policeman was in the lot, saw me crash. Later, said he was in the car within ten seconds. Realized I was coded and was starting CPR within literally a minute of, of me going out. Paramedics just happened to have dropped somebody off at the hospital. They saw the police car over there came over. Oh, gosh. And so they came over uh, CPR. And this was the one where uh, I was part of a study, uh, the uh, um, rescue study, actually, is what it was called back then. And it, they were and in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where I was, they were one of the seven study sites. And they were using both the rescue pod and the rescue pump that week on me. And I came back to consciousness. This is the lore that later went on. And grabbed the, the paramedic that was doing CPR. And I said, well, literally, why are you doing CPR on me? Right in the middle. He said, you got no pulse. This guy's saying, why is he doing CPR? And the guy evidently dropped me. And, and uh, he later said, oh, I just, they just, whoa, because they'd never seen that. Mm -hmm. And then I was out again. So they started doing CPR again. I did the same thing. Said something like, I thought I said I don't need CPR. And so I, it, this, this went on. And then I finally came back and, and, you know, they had Wask and I was, I was awake. And then it was like, we're so we're, I don't know, a hundred yards from the ER door. And the guy was, well, we got to take you in. And I said, well, let's just walk. I don't, you know, and they uh -uh. you're not walking anywhere, dude. <laughs> and, they, and they took me in. That time, now uh, the irony was they had not, now remember the first two, there, were, there was, discussion of a defibrillator, but they never put one in because they couldn't figure out. So mine was idiopathic. Mm -hmm. uh, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so each of those times, and there's this argument, I remember in 2005, and we're just sitting there and doctors arguing whether or not to put one in. They, the senior guy finally overrules and says, no. <laughs> the third time they send me back. And so I'm at University Hospital in Madison. And they, third time they get me back and they go, you're getting a defibrillator right now. <laughs> and you're in, no question. So there's no argument. So I, again, so I get a defibrillator. I'm, I'm out again within a day and a half uh, and they send me home. Now I have an electrophysio physician, you know, but nothing else has changed. Uh, and I'm back at work again, teaching. 
So all three times I came out of it neurologically intact, which at the time it didn't mean anything to me. Uh, it just was like, oh, okay, I don't know what happened, but I'm here. So I'm back to work. And when I got the defibrillator, obviously things physically changed because that limits what you could do. But between the first couple, nothing physically, I went back to working out, riding my bike, refereeing ice hockey, playing ice hockey. I mean, I was, I was uh, hiking, you know, doing things and uh, nothing had changed. The third one, obviously I knew there was something more serious because of the defibrillator. And then I became acquainted with uh, Take Heart and, uh, and started learning then the science behind uh, sudden cardiac arrest and realized then how lucky I was. I mean, if you do the math, I mean, if you figure there's a 0.08 average chance of survival from cardiac arrest, if you multiply that times 0.08 times 0.08, I have a 0.05% of being alive, let alone neurologically attacked. Right. So at that point, I realized, whoa, 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 this is weird because I just assumed I was typical. And it turns out I was not typical. And uh, that's when it hit me, but it still took me years to come around to the fact that, okay, I, I have an obligation to get out there and tell people about this because you, you just, I can tell you my personal feelings. I just wanted life to be back to normal. That's all I wanted. I didn't want to be different. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, you've got cancer and you've got months to adjust and years or whatever, or you're going to die or you have a surgery and you're going to be saved, you have chemo. No, this one just hits you, boom. And okay, now what? <laughs> you know, literally mm -hmm. each time. Uh, and the people around you don't know what it is. So even though I had doctors in the family, and no one ever talked about it. We never talked about it. And like I said, I think the, the, uh, that's the thing going back, I, I would tell people is, boy, 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 we know now you need to talk. <laughs> you need to talk a lot. And uh, the, the PTSD side, you know, we kind of talked a little about that. I don't know, you know the extent of PTSD that I had other than after the third one. Now I've got this device in me. OK, something's definitely wrong with my body. And why is that? And what can it do? I have, and to this day, kind of a phobia because I had VTAC as one of my uh, things. Uh, it is, if I'm working out at all, I'm, I'm paranoid if my heart rate goes much above 100 mm -hmm. because I start, oh God, oh God, it's going to start racing again, uh, you know? And even though it doesn't, I, it's, a, it's a barrier, even to this day that I still mentally, I, I, I wrestle with. Uh, and, uh, but uh, otherwise, like I said, it's, you're a cardiac arrest survivor. Back then, it was like, okay, I had no idea how many people died each year from this. I had no idea the killer it is. Uh, as we all know, it's a massive killer worldwide, massive. And yet, it's not talked about anywhere. It's staggering, not talked about. And uh, I, I finally said, wow, wait a minute. God, you know, because you don't lead conversations. We talked about this. If you're in a group or your things like, I don't, I'm not sitting at some uh, consulting gig with a company or I'm not at a, uh, I'm not at a academic conference and, oh, hi, I'm Steve Dunn, cardiac arrest survivor. You don't start like that. I only do that if I'm in a group of survivors or if I'm with, say, Take Heart or I'm at a medical conference for that reason. 
but otherwise, you know, it's not something you just, you're not proudly displaying that, uh, I guess. And we, you know, we really don't have, we don't have, uh, I mean, <laughs> I could go on here forever. I mean, I'm a cancer survivor a couple of times too. Uh, like I tell people, and I, and three years ago, I had uh, pulmonary embolism. So I said, I've given at the office on a number of different things, but mm -hmm. I, the only one that I had that actually has any symbol, I think, is the prostate uh, guys with the blue ribbon. And I said, we don't have a, a, a national symbol of this that, you know, people can rally around, you know, like breast cancer, prostate cancer, heart disease, or, or cancer. I mean, we, we just... Uh, that's something I think we need to work towards uh, is an identifying symbol that we can all get behind uh, on that. Uh, that would help visualize it for what do I want to say, the masses. Uh, but otherwise, the education I come to realize is huge on this. Well, then I, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, I am an educator. Why am I not doing anything? Uh, and then I started feeling this nagging. I need to do more. And I, so I, I was fortunate. Like I said, I've been involved uh, with Take Heart at the beginning a little, and then they asked me to sit on the board. And then a couple of years ago, they asked me if I could help uh, run it for a while. And I said, sure. Um, and I've been out more now. So it's 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 like anything else. You, you almost have to come out uh, with this uh, and be proud of it in a sense. I'm not I'm, I'm not happy that I'm a survivor. I mean, well, I'm happy I, I, to the alternative, obviously. But I mean, it's nothing I would have chosen. Uh, and uh, and, and, and to this day, in my case, I still wonder why, you know, why me? Uh, but I gave up on that because I'm not going to get an answer. So uh, I have to go on with, okay, this is who you are. And I've obviously lived 20 years and I've been a rich life. The best thing that happened to me by surviving was, and I, I, and I would never uh, deny this, is I got to see my sons grow up and become the men they are today. And I was telling you, ironically, all three of them are physicians. Uh, mm. so, uh, that, that was the irony. I don't think any of them would say, oh, it, it all happened because of that incident the, or those incidents with you. I don't think any of them would say that because I don't have a cardiologist, but, uh, it, it, and I don't have an ER doc. But, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, uh, but I, again, they're in that field. And, uh, so now they're more tuned, but it's interesting. We still don't have a lot of real in-depth conversations with it. And uh, it, it, I, I think I was saying earlier, it was ironic. I had finally uh, I thought about it with my oldest son because he had a severe trauma when he was two and my wife had done CPR on him. So I realized he's probably in cardiac arrest and we may be one of the only father-son cardiac arrest survivors. So maybe we're in a, a new club, uh, but uh, we never talked about it. And we, in fact, we just now did. And that was how many years ago? 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. So. Yeah, so that's my story. I guess I'm sticking to it. Uh, and uh, what I, I think my mission now has been is to try, I keep trying to figure out, there's so many wonderful people I've met, like yourself with this podcast and others, they're trying to get the message out. I, I admire all the paramedics, the nurses, the, anybody, the staff that's involved with this. Uh, I've come to meet so many of them and they're all such passionate people. Uh, and every one of us is frustrated at the survival rates. And, and, and it's like trying to move this number nationally or internationally. I've met people that are in regions or areas, uh, you know, like yours, uh, where the numbers are terrific. But the sad reality is in most places, they're not. Mm -hmm. And 
getting that attention and getting and figuring out how to get that process changed so that that's that's not right. That's just not right. It shouldn't matter, as we all know, it shouldn't matter where you live, shouldn't matter where you go down, shouldn't matter what time of day it is. I mean, it, you should have a fighting chance. And so that's the, the battle that I'm engaged in as we all are. So I, I'm, I'm more fully engaged and I start thinking about it from my skill set. I'm a doctor, but I'm not a medical doctor. So what do I have to bring to the table? Well, hey, one thing in supply chain, if nothing else, what you study is processes and you look at processes. Well, hey, where's been the bugaboo in, in, in uh, cardiac arrest survival uh, stories? It, it's in, the, in that process. Mm-hmm. And they're different. Every, every department's got a different way of doing things. They've got a different culture, perhaps. Uh, you know, they have different funding. They have different equipment. Uh, so all these things, I said, well, that I can do. I can get in there and start looking at that. So that's what I've started doing now. And it's, uh, it's fascinating, uh, to say the least there. So you've, you've expressed uh, quite a bit, and I want to say thank you, because I know that there are listeners out there that have, their family members have experienced something uh, this catastrophic, in, in whereas there was a, a loss of life, a death. And where you look back and say three times a survivor and say, you know, why me? And then stop asking that question because you're not going to get the answer. Um, that's, that takes a lot of vulnerability. And we talked earlier about um, authenticity and self-actualization. Um, you know, like you said, your kids don't necessarily, uh, won't uh, make an uh, attribution to your uh, witness cardiac arrest by them for their career choices. Um, whether it played any role at all, um, that that's, you know, up to the universe uh, to, to tell. Um, regardless of that, you said at the very beginning, you don't identify as this and, and you don't say, hey, I've got a defibrillator. Um, I'm not a three-time cardiac arrest survivor unless you're at an event. Um, and to change the culture that we're talking about, um, flipping to, to that being your foremost person, you know, I am a father, I am a professor, I am a cardiac arrest survivor three times, um, to get people to change that culture, to receive uh, potentially catastrophic news, to take action. So where do you see your efforts are moving the needle and how can we move them more as you have become more adept at it just being the true person that you are through all your experiences and not running away from them or diminishing them at this point. Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a mouthful. Uh, that, <laughs> that's uh, it, 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 it does frame the question, doesn't it? Uh, and in, in a sense, uh, like I said, to me, it's process management, but what you're touching on is also all the tenets of change management. And the first tenet that I go with on that is you have to create a sense of urgency. People got to understand, hey, this is a big issue. Now, that said, we have seen that somewhat this year. And I hate to say thanks to Mar Hamlin for going down on national TV with all these people watching, but thank you. <laughs> I mean, that has stirred a lot of action. Year before, I mean, very few of those of us that love European soccer saw Christian Eriksen go down in a Euro uh, game. And he was even more dramatic when you think about it because the captain of his team actually recognized it for what it was and literally started CPR while he was yelling. I mean, and and that was impressive as all get out. And Christian 
is back playing with Man United with a defibrillator. Yeah. You know, so I mean, what I think, so that sense of urgency is one, but also the understanding that, you know, and you get some champions. And so these guys are obviously visible athlete champions. You have Greg Page uh, down in Australia doing an amazing amount of work uh, as a former uh, singer, uh, you know, with the Wiggles. And uh, yeah, and he, he's, he's, he's relentless down there. Uh, so you have these visible champions. But the other thing is you have people like me and there are, there are more and more of me that have survived and are intact. And people need to see, I, I, it, it sounds egotistical, but I mean, people need to see people like me to say, yeah, oh, you can survive and kind of kind of be normal, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and that's that's an important thing. And, 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 and like I said, the, first, the, the physicians that I've met have been blown away when they meet me. It's like, God, I've never seen a survivor or even paramedics. Some of them, you know, they say, oh, we lose everybody or they, they get they have, uh, you know, partial, you know, they've got an oxic brain injury or something. And they've got some problems because of whatever the circumstances were around their arrest. But you see somebody fully intact and, and in the game, that's important. I, I also think it's important to see the other survivors because they're struggling as well. And uh, they have a lot to say. Uh, and uh, I, I have uh, a few friends that are that now that did not survive completely intact, uh, but that are still wanting to help people and wanting to say, hey, at least I'm here. And like I said, for me, being back and, and I realized it's it's I, I it, it's this funny thing had I had immediate attention every time and I had people that knew what to do literally and did it and it's uh so I was I was fortunate and we need more people that know what to do and that's why so in you ask what I do I mean with take heart and with just this whole concept of when we push called neuroprotective CPR I mean, this whole idea is that it, it's a symphony. It takes a symphony. And anybody that knows a symphony says, hey, well, yeah, you need the horns. You need the drums. You need the two string sections. You need the oboes. You need the bassoons. You need the, the cymbals and stuff. Well, CPR process survive to neuroprotective survival is no different. Uh, you've got to have 911. If someone calls, says, hey, someone does. They need to be there. They need to be able to help them. They need to be able to guide them. So you got, you've got that training in the city or the county or wherever it is you are. You've got to have people on the ground. You've got a citizenry that hopefully a lot of them have had a CPR class and it can at least get there and they know, recognize something while they're calling. And if they don't know what to do, the 9-11 operator can, can help them through. And we're seeing more of that now. And I think you'll hopefully with uh, even more video calls, you might see more. But then this whole AED access, uh, and this is what uh, I've seen now. So my assessment is you've got so many people that have been helping on the AED access side because it's, but it, and, and it's like, it's, you know, you mentioned I do sustainability. It's like sustainability. I tell people it goes back to all politics is local. I tell people, well, I'm sorry, most sustainability is local too, because you got to be able to see the problem and see some fix and be able to do it. And it's, and you're passionate about it. Well, that's the whole AED movement and the CPR uh, uh, training uh, movements. They're done really well. And oftentimes it results out of a tragedy or a survival. Uh, and somebody will put together a foundation and they'll get it going in their, their, their town. They'll try and get AEDs in the schools or in the churches, the buildings and things like that. And 
that is amazing. And so that groundswell is huge. Now we've got to get it out to everywhere. That's the challenge. And, uh, and then you've got the first responders. And I mentioned, I touched on that before. I mean, they're critical. How fast do they get there? What do they have when they get there? How are they, how well trained are they? Do they have the equipment that we now know you can, you need to, to be effective on scene? I mean, God bless the resuscitation Academy in Seattle for pushing, you know, pit crew CPR and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge. Uh, and, and, but you also can in, in elevate things with having the right things there. And, uh, one of the things we advocate, you know, we advocate all that and having the, the uh, uh, we've shown the example of, uh, carry less, do more, where you have literally first responders have the equipment all in one bag and then get there and two people can literally have everything they need to start. Uh, and. That also involves police departments and people have finally recognized that. There's people doing terrific work with police. I mean, we've got a few of them uh, up in Minnesota that are working really hard. We've got uh, uh, other uh, people uh, that are doing amazing amount of work, uh, you know, like uh, Blue Heart down in Arizona. Uh, I mean, Brandon uh, is doing terrific work there with police departments because the reality is uh, cops get there first. Uh, mm -hmm. With my dad in police uh, law enforcement and you know i never knew that but uh you know actually the police are always on scene usually before a fire gets there and, and historically they didn't think it was their job to do anything well changing that mindset is huge and uh so and, and, and boy believe me that cup best comes from within so it's better to have cops telling that so you got a guy like brandon who's a cardiac arrest survivor he's got a real story uh but uh, the same thing. And then it's the handoffs. Uh, you know, we see that in the process and, and you hear that bitching all the time. You know, you, you know, we work this hard in the field, we give them to you and you, you, they basically die in the ER. What happened? Uh, you know, and uh, and so that that whole process has got a lot of work to go. And uh, so these are the things, like I said, that I'm passionate about now is working on those processes, seeing that. And, 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 let's, and, and as we said, with seeing people like myself, it's also seeing that, that this can be done. I've done that for years in consulting. It's like, you know, you, people will tell, the, the companies will always tell, oh, well, you don't understand. We're different. We're different. You know, and fire departments got their own cultures. They have their own ways of doing things. The city may have their own culture. Uh, and it's like, so what you do is, how do you break that wall down? You start showing them examples. And so I'm trying to do that now, developing case studies saying, well, Here's what these guys did. Here's what they did to be successful. Why can't you? You know, it, it's like I, 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 I don't want to say if I have to shame you, I will. But your 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 record basically sucks compared to these guys. Well, why is that? Have you ever wondered about that? And the challenge that we find, Eric, it, it, this one is a tough one. Um, the numbers are huge, as we know, aggregated, but locally they're not. And you could be in a small area and how many cardiac restaurants do you go on in a month or a year? And that's been the challenge, especially if you've got now more and more of this equipment that costs, uh, you know, and then uh, combine that now with the, uh, uh, boy, the dearth of uh, getting younger people involved in uh, EMS work. I mean, uh, we've got a real challenge there, but that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm passionate about now is like, okay, I can work on that and I can do that. And I think in the next couple of years, that's where you'll see most of my stuff. I mean, I'm happy to be here as a survivor and talk about that journey. Because like I said, psychologically, that's a journey. It's been a journey uh, for my family and the people around me. Uh, and 
it's it's a challenge, uh, you know, because people don't even now you don't understand why, and you may not understand how deeply it affected you, because I'm I'm also probably. I mean, I'll admit it. I mean, I'm a typical guy of my era. I'm like, I'm going to box it and put it away. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. And uh, I'm not real, I'm not real good. I, I mean, I've learned to be better in, in groups uh, talking about this because I just like, why are we talking about this? I don't want to, you know, <laughs> and it's uh, so you, you have to learn that as well. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, three things. Uh... One, I, I want to just say thank you for recognizing that over the next couple of years, it'll be more of the sustainability, the, the, the changing the culture, the continuing to put pressure on organizations that say, you know, we're doing, we're doing it well enough. And, and you know, like you said, the aggregate numbers, when, when in comparison to places that are doing well to places that aren't doing much, they're, they're stunning. Um, just even in that presentation, looking through the chat, how many people don't have resources where law enforcement still has the mentality of not me. Um, whereas what we're doing in Oklahoma, what you're doing specifically in your area are that, you know, the first first responders are ordinarily the police. We have seen so many more sudden cardiac arrest survivors because of uh, early police intervention and use of the uh, AED. Um, you know, the pit crew method, you know, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Goodlow down here, um, you know, we're, we're both friends with him and, and, and their mission and passion and, and understanding science and, and, and letting that continue to be evolutionary. Um, that they understand, you know, you talk about a Peter Antevi, uh, a you and me that have suffered uh, death uh, in, in the physiological for however long uh, and yet are still here on the ethereal and the, the physical plane, right? So we're yeah. still here, mind, body, spirit. Um, you know, like a Peter Antevi talking about closure and, and coming to that end um, and being a survivor three times and then being an advocate for change and putting your money where your mouth is uh, and, and all of your efforts and works, not just speaking. Um, huge, huge, huge things. And then last uh, of the three things is family and, and that care and, and the understanding of how to manifest that to something where it's not darkness or fear or anxiety over that event or the event happening again with in, in particular your track record of three sudden cardiac arrest um, and just curiously for the listeners have you been defibrillated since you've had your defibrillator put in <laughs> i was gonna bring that up good that you did uh i have been defibrillated 21 times cheapers creepers since 2008 so um some of, I would say probably eight to 10 of them in the first three or four years. And that involved that everybody often will go through with this. Uh, you're lucky if you do not get defibrillated. Uh, but I obviously had some issues. I got an ablation after that. Uh, I've had, uh, uh, they, you know, adjusted different drugs, different amounts on the, the beta blockers, for example, I went through several of those. I mean, that's a whole different discussion is just the beta blockers if they throw you on them, which ones feel good to you, which ones don't. I hated mm -hmm. some of them because they made me so lethargic and I just hate that. And because uh, I'm an active guy, I don't want to be lethargic and uh, many, many debates uh, with my EP physicians over that. Uh, same thing with settings on my uh, defibrillator. Uh, I had to have that discussion over and over and over with them because, you, you know, you, you if they, they, they initially want to set it down there a little low. 
And I said, I'm too active for that. It's going to set it off. And I did. And I have found that the ones that I've had, at least the last five over the last probably six years, were mostly uh, induced by me working out in heat and humidity. So it took three or four of those shocks until it got through my thick skull that, hey, dude, maybe you shouldn't be working out in the heat and humidity anymore, even though you used to love it, you know, but I'm older uh, and I got to admit that too. Uh, but it's also, uh, it's also, hey, maybe your heart just doesn't work well in that. So I try to avoid that now. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I've gone through a lot of shocks uh, and uh, it's interesting. Um, I ended up divorced uh, in the middle of that. Uh, and one of the things my ex-wife said was I was not the same person anymore. And so she thinks the shocks and everything did something to me. I, I don't perceive that cause I'm me. So I don't, I didn't perceive that. Uh, but that was one of the things she said and, and she, she may be right. And, uh, uh so that's something again, that the long-term I, I probably should be exploring that, but I did get shocked a lot and it did affect me, uh, obviously, because you, you, I've never passed out from a shock. I've learned now. I mean, I can, I've got, I can learn within a second or two when it's going to go. I know it's going to go. So I, a couple of times, like I said, I was working out. I had to make sure, boy, get down on the ground. Don't be up on your bike. Don't be doing anything because uh, you're going to cause a real problem. But uh, yeah, so I've had that, that factor as well. Uh, I'm remarried. My current wife has seen a number of these and, uh, she says the same thing. She says, uh, you know, you need to quit pushing the limits. Uh, and I, like I said, for me, it's a trauma of knowing the limits there, but I also still want to do what I want to do. And uh, so I've, I've learned to live in that gray zone. I've cut the shocks down quite a bit now. I haven't, like I said, probably five in the last six years. Uh, and uh, so and that, those were exercise induced. And, my, and, so, and as my, even my cardiologist said, you know, this is a, that one's on you, dude. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty much what he said. But I want to come back to one other thing that you uh, talked about that I think is real important here. And maybe we close it with this or something. But you talked about science being evolutionary. And that is the truest statement ever. So as a, as a scientist, uh, going back, uh, I tell people there's no truth in science. There's, uh, you know, hypotheses, uh, theories, and things that work now that we know. And we test them when we test them. And we find new news. Now that got pushed to the limit. Everybody saw it during COVID, and you know the constantly changing. You know, it, 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 I, I look at the COVID period was an amazing period for science because it was unbelievable how they, how quickly they reacted to everything. Cardiac arrest is no different. This science is evolving all the time. We've got some amazing people. You mentioned a few of them. We got so many people that are real uh, explorers uh, in this field that are pushing the limits on, you know what to do to try and stop this, this, uh, God, what do you want to call it? This, just this death, uh, uh, and, uh, and get, not just stop it, but get it back neurologically intact. I mean, you know, that's great if you survive, but boy, if you've got neurological damage, that's a whole different trauma level for you and your family. And, uh, how can we get it to where more of us are neurologically intact? And that science is ongoing now. And like I said, some of the people you mentioned, there's so many others, that are really pushing that, but that's a challenge for us because like I said, fire departments, police departments, responders, people, you know, they want set things, set things. And that's the, the, the challenge with research in this field. Uh, you'll hear a lot of people poo-pooing some of the numbers and things, 
because, oh, it wasn't a peer-reviewed study. It didn't have all this. Well, you know, good luck trying to do a long-term peer-reviewed study on people that are having a random event, uh, you know. Uh, so uh, I, I think, again, we're going to have to really come to grips with how we sell this uh, in terms of what works now and what, how that changes and what now we need to do. Because if you look back, I mean, it's like anything else. If it had happened, uh, like I go back 20 years, uh, I look at what they were doing then to what they do now, it's night and day. Mm -hmm. You know, I just got lucky to bridge across. Uh, but uh, I think that's another important uh, thing to keep in mind is that the, the, the science will get better and better. And one of the things we're talking about now is uh, uh, how, why, why don't we have uh, cardiac arrest uh, centers? You know, you got them for stroke. Why don't you have them for cardiac arrest? Because all hospitals aren't the same in terms of how their ability is to react to it. Exactly. Their willingness and their willingness to do the stuff that it takes in terms of, hey, maybe you got to stay with it a while because we've shown that, hey, people survive now, <laughs> even though you've been working on them for a long time. And uh, they, that, that even the staying on scene argument is another one. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of those uh, things come into play now. So I think that's I, a really important concept for us. I appreciate that, and, I, and I'll try to kind of encapsulate that in the in the uh, in the outro before I say thank you and uh, have a great day, Steve. As things continue to develop, you know, we're we're talking about uh, heads up CPR. We're talking about early intervention, early access to AED, starting CPR quickly. Um, no matter what science has done and will continue to do in review and research, you're here because somebody chose to take action regardless of an algorithm, uh, they just recognize an issue and, and, they, and they took care of you, um, the human being. Um, so I think that the first call to arms is, is ladies and gentlemen, you still, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, if you're, if you're unaware of the, the newest standards or even hands-only CPR, um, where the rates are 100 to 120, uh, you know, pr compressions uh, a minute, ask somebody, Get with Steve, get with his organization, go to your local ambulance service, go to your local fire service, whatever the case may be, we can get better. It takes action. Why are we not doing more? Because every agency has its own dictates, directives, standards, lack of standards, whatever we want to call it. Um, and it, we won't continue to get better uh, until we continue to have engagements like this and you sharing your story to the masses, whether it be a keynote at a special event or just at a random event with your students where it may come up and, and uh, communication and action, I think are, are big game changers, uh, communicating the need and taking action to help one another. Steve, um, as we prepare to kind of wrap this up, the person that I saw you uh, be through the real emergency event that we were watching um, and talking about whether it be PTS, PTSD, moral injury, um, in the last couple of minutes, would you mind kind of encapsulating the person that you have transformed into as a result of those events? And, and I'm not talking about just the person of action that you've become. Uh, and, and, but there's been change. You, you mentioned a divorce, you mentioned uh, a current wife, and you have to always be now different and because your life was different than others. 
So if, if you don't mind, and that, and that gets kind of weighty, but I think it might help somebody that's struggling. Um, yeah, uh, I, it's, it's a legit question. And it's like I said, I'll come full circle to where we started. It's been a journey. And I suspect the path has still got a long way to go. At least I hope it does. And uh, I've gone from uh, trying to ignore it, uh, you know, trying to say, oh, okay, uh, I don't know what that was, but I'm just going to go back and be who I was. Uh, and I got away with that for a while because I didn't have a defibrillator. And then I went down again. Uh, same thing, though. Sent me home without one. Didn't say much. Uh, went back to doing what I do. And then finally, third time, it's like, okay, okay, numbs full, third time's charm, or strike three, I guess. But mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, as I said before, don't drive yourself to the hospital either. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the reality I tell people is, had I not opted to drive to the hospital, I don't know that I'd be here uh, on, on two of those occasions. Uh, so uh, that's a sad reality also. Uh, but in terms of, for me, am I different? Absolutely, I'm different. Uh, it's uh, for it changed my life. I mean, defibrillator. I was a very active uh, uh, athlete uh, before doing things. Uh, the defibrillator has compromised that in a lot of ways. I've had to take up different things. Uh, I can't. I can't do the things with my shoulder. I can't swim the same way. I can't do these things. Uh, I can't uh, realistically, like I said, I love playing things in the heat. Can't do that anymore. Can't do that. So I've had to. I've had a lot of things that I had to. I, I don't want to say compromise, but I had to evolve. So. I guess the best way to say it, Eric, is that you you have to you evolve yourself as well. And so I've had to evolve and come to grips with, okay, I'm different physically. Uh, I do have different limitations now. Uh, it's given me a, oh God, has it ever given me an appreciation for people that are born with disabilities or are affected by uh, other diseases? Wow. Uh, I'm so much more sensitive to that and, and, and uh, able to understand in so many ways so much better. Uh, but the flip side is, it's also got me to the point now where I don't. I, I I think from a PTSD point of view for myself, I've been able to put limits on it. I know where not to go, and I've done that. So I've I've been able to live with that because of that. Uh, I still. So here's where it'll creep in. Here's an example. So my wife and I talk about. Well, where would we retire? And I go, I don't care where it is, as long as I've got a medical center with a good heart group uh, somewhere within, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> something like that. So it's still affecting how I think where I'm going to live. Uh, and so uh, something like that is always on my mind. Uh, my, <laughs> it's my, my, my longtime physician, he's, a, he's the same age I am. Okay, well, when's this guy going to quit? You know, he's talked about it. I said, you can't quit. You, gotta, you know, you're, you're my doc. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting used to, I, I do have a new young, uh, cardiologist now. So it's, it's been an interesting switch, but even that, cause I, I, I come to become very comfortable with that routine with that one doc mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I've got to change docs and that's traumatic. Uh, cause this is like, Hey, I'm not a normal patient. Uh, you know, you don't understand, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so, uh, the, even that is something you, you, you come to compromise with. Uh, the other thing I think, uh, for me, though, I think the best thing is, is becoming much more educated and meeting with the people in the field that are doing the work. And that has been, that has brought me more joy to see because it gives me, it, it, it's like my sustainability journey, meeting people that are on the ground doing things. Uh, it's, you're not alone 
is the message. You're not alone. And that's why for a lot of people, these groups, there are some good groups online. There may be groups in your area, but if you really want to talk to people, there are people that have had survived this that will talk to you. I would talk to anybody. If anybody called me or emailed me, I would talk to them and say, okay, well, here, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's my journey. And if you just need that, uh, and we all, we all need that human connection. Uh, and, and, and so the survival groups that are out there are great. Uh, just find them. They're online. You can find them. Uh, the information is getting better, uh, you know, thanks to podcasts like yours, thanks to, you know, other podcasts and things. Uh, the information is getting better all the time. It's out there. There's so much more out there now than there ever was when I had mine. There's nothing. Uh, so uh, right now, you don't need to be alone. Uh, so that's my message to anybody that's struggling. You don't need to be alone. And that's whether or not you're a family member, a responder, uh, a survivor, anybody affected by it. One of the things my wife and I have talked about a lot is, colleagues at work because they don't understand it and they don't know that you might be different uh, or something and they don't know how to react. People don't know how to react to you when you're sick. That's something people, that's a topic that's totally avoided at work and it's uh, seen as a weakness in a lot of places. Uh, so there's, there's another one. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, for me, uh, change going forward. Yeah. For me, I feel like, so here, let me put it in context. So we watched uh, uh, the Ten Commandments this weekend. We always, it's a tradition we just do. And so Moses is always going, why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? You know? And I said, sometimes I feel like that. I'm like, why me? Why? But I really feel a responsibility. Uh, not that I'm Moses, but I, I feel like I need to get out there and be present and be with people to tell them, hey, it's okay. We, you can go on. And, and you you uh, can go on and you can you can become someone else. Are you different? Yeah, I'm very different. You asked me that? I'm very different because I, I absolutely recognize my own mortality. Not that I necessarily did, but not in the way that I do now. And uh, I did after each of those events. I mean, I knew something had gone on. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, yeah, so, but that I tell people, I say, that's been a gift because I'm not afraid of death. And uh, in the, because cardiac arrest, if you die with cardiac arrest, that's an easy death. I mean, that sounds crass, but it's reality. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but the flip side of that is, is okay. See, that's one thing you don't have to worry about. What can you do now? And, and what can you do to help others? And, and it really, uh, it really makes it. And that's why I said, so, so you have to sit back. I had to sit back and look at, what are my skill sets? What about what can I do? And that's what I, it's taken me this amount of time to really kind of get it together. But I've been given those years. Uh, so, I mean, I think back, I, one of the talks I've done and I do is it's a wonderful life. And I look at it just like that movie. Like what happened if I'd have died at each one of those events? What wouldn't have happened? You know, it'd be Pottersville. You know, would it be? I mean, that's a little egotistical, but I mean, it would be mm -hmm. not, certainly... But I, I think about it. I think about what would that have done to my sons? You know, would have devastated them. Uh, what would have done to my wife? You know, what would have done? I mean, the, the event was harsh enough, but I came out of it fine uh, and went on. Uh, and But what if I died? What if I'd have been brain damaged and I'd been in care all this time? Look at the expense, the cost, and the, 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 uh, uh, the incredible... Uh, drag on your family there's no other way to say it uh, uh, and uh, so I mean I do think about it like from that context as well 
And, and I do tell people, it's, it's just like education. I, would say, I, I say the same thing about education. I go, how come I got to where I was in education doing this? Well, I must have had some pretty good teachers along the way. Somebody that inspired me. And why am I here from cardiac arrest? Because I had some pretty good responders that did it. And you mentioned that a minute ago. Uh, hey, you got to do something. <laughs> My son was 11 at the time. He acted. <laughs> he wasn't, I don't think he was sure exactly what was going on, but he acted mm -hmm. uh, and, and he didn't, he didn't hesitate. In fact, he was more concerned later. He goes, are you mad at me? Cause you know, you hit your legs so hard on the, the dresser that it almost broke it. I go, why would I be mad at that? You know? Uh, but I mean, uh, so again, like you said, uh, you know, the important thing is how can we get more people to respond and, and, and do, respond first, do it quickly and do it well. Uh, but uh, be confident that, that that you're doing the right thing by responding. Huge, 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 huge. And uh, so I guess that's my answer. Uh, yeah, I, I, Steve, that's <laughs> that's fantastic, and it really brings us full circle. Uh, it 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 tells the emotional kind of toll, uh, the physical toll, um, the psychological toll. Um, however, you want to phrase those things because it's going to resonate a little bit differently with each person so take heart uh, america it's it's take heart uh, america.org or org it's a great website they have a lot of good information for people to get uh, attached to it um, always looking for resources uh, and what we mean by resources we're looking for people to make donations in order to uh, continue further research and training for people um, can people get directly in touch with you professor dunn Yep. You can email me directly. I'll give you the uh, email address, but uh, just uh, D-U-N-N-S at uwosh.edu or, you know, uh, through the website too. Perfect. Um, so people will have questions. Continue to seek training. And, and the big takeaway for me today was um, Steve sharing with with us you are not alone there are resources of people uh that will avail themselves to you and be of service for you um, i can't list all the people eric there's so many people that are doing good work out there i appreciate every one of them and coming from a survivor uh which is you i i appreciate you sharing uh being vulnerable and, and yet strong through that i wouldn't have felt is comfortable um, having a conversation to listen to your words uh, had had we not had that little personal kind of jettison from the uh, the training session or during the Q and A. Um, so I, I want to thank you for making yourself very very available to this conversation um, so that it'll help one other person. And uh, I just want to say thank you again. This is the EMS Improv Podcast where we engage, where we have tried to be mindful. And uh, Professor Dunn, Steve has shared several stories that I know are going to resonate with our listeners. Uh, we are powered by GEMS, and I want to say thank you very much, Steve. All right, thank you for having me.